This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Um, turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start uh, in verse 29. If you're using a Bible that's in the back of the chairs or under the blue chairs, let me encourage you to do that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you that's found on page in those Bibles, 956. Loving God means loving others. We wrap up today our series on the heart, cardiology, and we've talked about what it means to love God with all our hearts. And we've talked about heart disease, things that get in our lives that clog up our arteries. We've talked about loving God uh, with our finances, as Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Tom talked about, uh, about the fear that can be in our hearts and how to deal with those fears and anxieties and worries that sometimes we get tangled up in. Today, we're going to wrap it up and talk about loving others as we love God. And if we bounce back to the very first message in this series, back uh, the first of February, actually the last Sunday in January it was, we ended that message with a statement from Jesus that we know as the great commandment. And in that statement, Jesus said these words, love God with all your heart. And then the next part says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. It's a two-part command. Love God, love my neighbor. But the two parts aren't, we can't separate them and say there's one and here's the other. In fact, where did those, where did those words come from? Jesus simply took the 10 commandments. We're all familiar with those 10 commandments in Exodus uh, chapter, is it chapter 20? Uh, and he took those, those 10 commandments and he divided them. The first four of the 10 are about loving God. The last six are about loving our fellow man. He said, the commandment is this, the great commandment is this. And he summarized it into these two statements, but they can't be separated. One goes with the other. These two commands work together. And it looks like this. Here's how it works. First of all, I love God with all my heart by obeying him. That's how I love God with all my heart, by being obedient to him. It's really, really not that complicated. I love God with all my heart by doing what he says. In fact, Jesus in John 14, verse 15 said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's the test of love for me. You keep my commandments. You do what I say. You're obedient to me. And then when I love God with all my heart, Jesus was telling us here in this great commandment, I will love my neighbor as myself. So what Jesus is saying, please hear this. I cannot do the second one, love my neighbor, without first loving God with all my heart. Now let me stop and say, some people say, can I just love my neighbor? I know people that are lovely to their neighbors and they do kind things for the neighbors all the time and they don't know Jesus as Savior. Does that mean they're not loving God? How can you, you say you can't do the one without the other? And the, there is an answer to that and the answer is very simply this. The word that Jesus used there in, in Luke for loving our neighbor and loving God is a word that applies only to Christians. It's a love that only comes from God It's a love that only those who have a relationship with Jesus as Savior can possess. It's the the word, the Greek word you're familiar with, agape, and it's right there. Only Christians can love God with all their heart, and only Christians, because they love God with all their hearts, can love their neighbors, as Jesus spoke about. That doesn't mean the rest of the world that does kind things for their neighbors, aren't they loving their neighbors? Yeah, but with a different kind of love than you and I possess. 
Because the love that we possess comes from God, and it's that divine agape love only we can love our neighbors with. If I love God with all my heart, I'll love my neighbor. And we're going to see in just a few moments where that love comes from. I'll love my neighbor as I love myself. This command comes from Jesus The story here in Luke chapter 10 is a story, Jesus is giving an answer to a question that was asked him by a scribe. scribe The the scribes were the experts in the law. They were the lawyers, or as they would say in Ireland, they were the solicitors. They were the lawyers uh, of Jesus' day, the scribes. They knew the law, the Old Testament law inside and out. And so this was not really, I'm not sure if this was an attempt to trip Jesus up, but the guy asked a question. I'm hoping it's an honest question because Jesus gave him a very honest answer. And the question was, well, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? We have all these commandments from God in the Old Testament. Which one would you put at the top of the list? What would you say is the most important? And so Jesus answers the question with those words, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting from the Old Testament, which the scribe knew, by the way, when he gave that answer. His answer comes right right from the Old Testament. By the way, Jesus often quoted from the Old Testament because Jesus considered the Old Testament the word, the eternal word of God. So the scribe asks him another question. Love your neighbor as yourself. The scribe says, okay then, tell me, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And remember that a scribe, as I said, was an expert in the law. He knows it inside out. And so what he's doing here, and, and we've all had, probably all of us had times where we've had to sit down and deal with a lawyer, okay? Um, uh, Gail and I are going to see an attorney the week after next. We have to redo our will because we really don't, when we die, we don't want Nathan to have to go live with Andy and Misha. All right, so <laughs> it's time. Neither do they. <laughs> He's pulling the lawyer thing on Jesus. And if you've ever sat down with a lawyer to do a deed of trust or to do a will or to do any, they want specifics, don't they? I mean, they don't want to leave any I not dotted or any T uncrossed. They want it to say exactly what it needs to say. Be specific, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Is it just anyone? Well, most, the most obvious literal answer to that question, who is my neighbor? The most, the, I would think, first of all, the people who live on my street in near proximity to me, my next door neighbors, the people on my street. They live in my neighborhood. But what about the people I work with every day? Are they my neighbors? The girl who sits beside me, students, in English class, is she my neighbor? The cashier at the 7-Eleven, Tom Lee, where I get my Slurpee. If you know Tom, you know that's an important part of his life. The Slurpee. Is, Is she my neighbor? The lady parked next to me at Food Lion when I buy my groceries. Here's a tough one. I was there yesterday. Those shopping at the same time as me at Walmart. Is that person my neighbor, really? How about the people seated right around you right now? Are they your neighbors? You're all familiar with, um, with this little example of neighbors. I want you to watch it with me right now. Hey, and we're going to sing together in just a moment, okay? How many of you know the song? Raise your hand. All right, we're going to sing. 
Some of you are getting goosebumps right now. Some of you are getting teary-eyed. Some of you are saying, I don't have any idea what this is about. But if you're below 60 years old, you probably get this, all right? Go ahead and sing. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Look at the person next to you right now. Just like you. Don't take your shoes off, please. All right, let's sing it all together with him now. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor. Hi, neighbor. All right, give him a hand, all right. <laughs> we all love Fred Rogers. Who's my neighbor? The robbers in this story didn't see Jesus or this man as their neighbor. Let's read the story. Let me do that first. Verse 29. Wanted to justify himself, the scribe asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? By the way, what he wanted to do was what everybody in this world wants to do. We want to justify ourselves. We want to make, do whatever it takes to make ourselves right before God. And as we know from the scriptures, we cannot do that can't justify ourselves. Wanted to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus took the question and said, he gives a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine, and then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Then Jesus asked the scribe the question, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the man answered, he said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, told him, you go and do the same. Who's my neighbor? He tells this parable. The robbers, he said, didn't see this man as their neighbor. And I'm sure the scribe thought to himself, well, of course not. That's a no-brainer. They have no good motive in this story. They're robbers. They're not neighbors. Even though they were likely fellow Jews like this man. Robbers, they're not like me. Robbers, they're obviously sinner-type people. No, not me, the scribe's thinking. They're out for themselves. Nope, not the robbers. The priests and Levite, they did not see this man as their neighbor. The priests were those men who served in the temple, lighting the incense and killing the sacrificial animals on the altars and sprinkling the blood on the different places in the temple. And they were looked up to the people. 
as those who represented them before God, but it wasn't a life the, the priests necessarily chose. You see, you were a priest because you were descended from, somebody tell me, descended from who? Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, and all of his descendants, those men that descended from Aaron, were priests. So it wasn't something they chose, it was something they were born to be. It was inherited. So it could have been that their religion, now you think about it, if their religion is simply their position in their religion is something they've inherited, it wasn't necessarily because they chose it, and maybe this priest had the idea as he passed by, you know, I don't have to be religious anywhere but at the temple. That's where I'm religious. I'm not going to go and do anything for this man because that's not my job. And he left it there. Levites were similar to the priests. They were different, but they're similar in that the, the privilege of being a Levite also was a family thing. They were descended and they were in the tribe of Levi. And they had the job, all of their family had the jobs of caring for the temple and serving the priesthood. And that again was handed down to them. It was passed down, inherited by them. So like the priests, they had a very special role in Judaism. Like the priests, they were looked up to by the people because of the things they got to do in and around the temple and their very special tasks that they had. But please understand, genuine faith isn't something I have simply because my parents may have had faith. Because my mom and dad were believers, and maybe my mom and dad were faithful believers, and maybe my mom and dad served in a church, you know, in special places, if you will, uh, positions, doesn't mean I'm going to have the faith myself. Parents, please keep that in mind. Our children don't inherit our faith. They must choose for themselves, but it sure makes it a whole lot easier for them to choose for themselves when you and I, as moms and dads, live a life that's vibrant and consistent in Jesus Christ. That will draw them to him when they see that consistency, when they see us depending on him, when they see us in times of crisis, going to God, not, not worrying and not throwing in the towel and not saying I quit and I give up, but simply saying let's trust the Lord in this. When they see you trusting God, that's going to pull them to trust God themselves. So the Levite with this inherited religious position passed by on the other side, just going through the motions perhaps. At any rate, these two clearly religious men did nothing for this poor man who was beaten and robbed. Well, then a Samaritan stopped, and Jesus said he gave this man aid. The assumption now is Jesus is talking, and he's giving this parable, and he's talking to a Jewish audience. The assumption in this parable is that the man who was robbed was like those who were listening. He was also Jewish. I mean, they're in Jerusalem. Jericho is all within the bounds of their country. And so he's Jewish as well. And the Jews did not have any love for the Samaritans. When Jesus brought up the word that the next man was a Samaritan, I'm sure many of them frowned and thought, oh man, he's worse than the priest and the Levite in this story, I bet. The Jews didn't have any love for the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had no love for the Jews. Samaritans, what were they? They were were people of mixed Gentile Jewish ancestry 
who lived between, they had a spot in the country, a region in the country, if you will, that was between Jerusalem and Galilee. And there was this area of the country, this county, if you want to look at it that way, where they lived. That was their territory. In fact, there's this one story where it says, and Jesus had to, we're going to Galilee, and it said Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And the disciples said, no, 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 let's bypass Samaria. We don't want to go through there. That's not a good neighborhood. They don't like us there. And Jesus said, no, I've got to go there. And of course, you know the story in John chapter 4. They go there, and Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. You know that story. They didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans did not like them. There was no respect there. The Samaritans had their own religious system that was mostly Jewish. But because they weren't Jews, they were banned because they were partly Gentiles. They were banned from entering the temple. So they developed their own system of worshiping God. And they worshiped God at Mount Gerizim, which was in Samaria. And there they had their own temple and their own altar. And they took a few of their Gentile ancestors' pagan rituals and mixed them with Judaism. And that's how they worshiped. They had their own version, if you will, of Judaism. And what Jesus told these Jews, including the scribe, was almost unbelievable. He told them that the most despised man they could think of, the Samaritan, he is going to be the good guy in the story. And then Jesus, after getting done with the story in verse 36, he asked them, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three, Mr. Scribe, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? It was a no-brainer, wasn't it? Not hard to figure out. Even though it went against the grain, even though it was hard for the man to admit the Samaritan was the neighbor, he did. Now let's look at how the Samaritan proved he was the man's neighbor because we're talking today about doing what? Loving our neighbors. Love God with all your hearts and love your neighbor as yourself. How did, how did the Samaritan prove that he was a man's neighbor? Number one, uh, in the parable Jesus said he had compassion. Now that wasn't something that all of a sudden came to him as he looked and saw the Samaritan. That was something that had been developed in his heart. That's a character trait. He was compassionate toward the man. That was something that, that his mama taught him as he grew up in home, to be compassionate toward other people. So this was kind of who he was. He was compassionate. It wasn't like he left on his trip between Jerusalem and Jericho and he said, thought to himself as he's loading up his luggage, he said, I, I better pack some compassion to take along. It was part of who he was, part of his character. The scribe said that the Samaritan, the scribe's words were, he showed mercy to the man. See, this man's heart was not hardened by the racial bigotry that surrounded him where he grew up. He didn't see the man lying in the road as a Jew. He saw him as another human being who needed mercy, who needed compassion who was in need and his heart was moved to help. He had compassion. Secondly, the parable said he went to him. What did the other guys do? The priest and Levite? Jesus said they did what? They passed by on the other side of the road. I mean, they got as far away as they could get. This man took the initiative to cross the road and go to where the man was. He didn't say, I'm here and can help you, but first, I'm over here and you're, I'll help you, but you need to come to me. 
He didn't say that. He went to the man. That also means he wasn't concerned about what others might think. Number three, he used what he had to meet the man's need. What did he have with him? He's traveling, and we don't know what business he's going on. We don't know why he's there in that part of the country, what he's packed. But he had with him material that he was able to use to rip into bandages. It could have been part of his own tunic. that he just pulled up and began to strip rip strips out so he could use those as bandages. He poured wine and olive oil that he used as medicine for the man's wounds. And again, this is a, a parable that Jesus is teaching. This wasn't a true story. It was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The scenario was unlikely, but it could have happened, but it, it wasn't true, but... It was told to make a point, to teach this man about who is my neighbor. Practically speaking, this Samaritan was a neighbor to the man by meeting his physical need. And what was his physical need? Immediately, physical need was what? First aid, right? He's obviously bleeding. He's got wounds. He needs bandage. He needs medicine. First aid was his obvious physical need. There was no 911 to call. So the man took what he had with him, and he did what he could. He used wine, which wine would be a disinfectant, wouldn't it, because of the alcohol that it contains. Olive oil would be a salve to assist the healing. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6 says, From the sole of the foot even to the head, no spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, and festering sores not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. It aided in the healing. James 5.14, is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Again, this is a parable. And it's not just a story about giving somebody first aid. There's got to be a deeper spiritual meaning. So here is a neighbor meeting a needy man's, needy person's spiritual need. If we want to look deeper into the parable, oil, and wine. Oil would symbolize, represent in the word of God, the anointing of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 45 says, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. And this is right after Cornelius, the Gentile, the Roman was the first Gentile in his household were saved by Jesus Christ. And God said to Peter, look, here's the deal. And, and they got the Holy Spirit just like we did. The Gentiles poured out on them. Romans 5.5. 5. God's love has been poured out. Again, that, that usage, poured out, this anointing. Poured out on our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Titus 3.6, this spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. Now, here, let me just say a couple things about anointing. There is an awful lot of confusion in modern-day Christianity about using this word anointing. I hear it used a lot in wrong ways. Number one, the anointing is, some, is something that God does on the Christian the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Because the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in to indwell you. You are sealed by him. You are anointed by him. Check it out in 1 John chapter 2. We have, John said, this anointing. So if you're a Christian, you have this anointing. Secondly, the anointing is on people. People. 
God doesn't anoint songs and he doesn't anoint chairs that you're sitting in and he doesn't anoint trips that you go on. He anoints people. People receive the anointing. I don't need to pray for this anointing. Why? I've already received it. The moment I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and he never leaves me. So I have this anointing. So be careful how you use that term. I hear people using it. That was such an anointed song. Not really, you know? I mean, the person that wrote it, surely the Holy Spirit was with them as they wrote the song, but the song's not anointed. The songwriter would have been. He poured in oil, the Holy Spirit. He poured in wine. Wine represents, we know this because we had communion a couple of weeks ago. Wine represents the saving blood of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? That washes away our sin, Matthew 26. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 7, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all Sin. And when we go to someone who's hurting, Christian, reaching out to them, we go to someone who's hurting, someone who is lost, we go to take them, not bandages and, and disinfectant, we go to take to them life and forgiveness that God offers. The Holy Spirit regenerates and brings them to life. We sang, I don't know if you caught this in the song we sang, I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That who gives us life is the word of the words of the songs. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us, gives us new life, brings them to life. When we go to people with the gospel of Christ, the blood of Christ bling, brings them forgiveness from sin. So let me ask you a question, Christian. What do you have in your bag, if you will? What do you have that you're carrying along with you every single day that God can use in someone's life? What do you have? One thing for sure, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one thing for sure that you possess is the gospel, isn't it? If you're a Christian, you have the gospel. You know the gospel. That's what we can share with people. Number four in the story, he inconvenienced himself. He inconvenienced himself. Now here's where it gets a little sticky. Here's where it gets a little tough. Jesus was saying that loving my neighbor will usually require sacrifice on my part. Samaritan had been going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He'd been going, riding, we assume, on a donkey. He had a beast with him. He had an animal. Now he gets down off of the animal, puts the injured man on the donkey, and the Samaritan walks the rest of the way. In the first message in the series, I pointed out that the, number two, the two number one, if you will, indicators of our priorities in life are, do you remember what they are? Are our calendar and our checkbook. How we spend our time, how we spend our money. How we invest those things. I want you to look at the next two points in this parable. Number five, he invested his own time in the man. He loved him by investing time in him. He took him to an inn. He cared for him there. There, there were no hospitals to take him to. He took him to an inn, cared for him there. The man was hurt to the extent that he needed time for recovery. And the Samaritan, do you see what he did? He interrupts his own trip. 
He interrupts his own schedule. He takes time off from whatever business he was about and he was getting ready to do. He stops his own schedule, interrupts his own calendar, changes things on his calendar and says, I will stay here. And he stayed there for a while and took care of the man. And then number six, he invested his own money in the man. He he did have to get on with whatever his business was about. He did have to leave and so he said, look, I'm going to give, give you, he said to the innkeeper, here's some money. I'm going to give you enough money so that you can provide him food and shelter for the next period of time, however long that might have lasted, a couple of days. Provide him food and shelter so you can continue to care for him. And I'm going to, when as I come back through, I'm going to stop. And if you've spent more than what I've just given you to take care of him, I will reimburse you for your expenses. What kind of a neighbor is that? invested his own time, put him on his animal, invested his own time, used whatever he had in his bag to care for the man's needs. And then he says, I'll take, I'll pay for it. What a neighbor. And then Jesus ended this parable by saying to the scribe, now, you've told me who the neighbor was. You've identified him. Now you go and you do the same. You be that kind of neighbor. That's love. The scribe, you see, he had lots of knowledge of the scripture. But unless you and I, and many of us in this room have been Christians a long time, and we have lots of knowledge of the Bible. And that's a good thing to have unless we don't use it. Unless we don't apply it. Unless we don't put it into action in our lives. He said, now you go and do. You know so much about the Bible, scribe, but it's time for you to begin to do these things. Unless I take what I know and I put it to use in loving my neighbors, what good is my knowledge of the scriptures? In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, knowledge inflates with pride. Imagine like blowing up a balloon. He said, that's what love, knowledge does. He says, but love builds up. Love builds up with structure. And who does it build up, by the way? Builds up those we serve those we love. Too often we wonder, well, okay, try to put myself in this man's shoes here going down the road and I see this happen and I think, you know, somebody else will take care of it. I'm going to go by, but then I decide I'm going to stop and help. What if I stop to help? What if I stop to share the gospel that I have and I share it with somebody who's in need and they're lost and they reject my attempts to show them God's love? Do you ever have that fear? That's the number one reason why we don't share our faith as believers in this country is because we say, I'm afraid somebody's going to reject me. We need to get over that. Who cares if they reject me? It's not about me, it's about Christ. And it's about their need for eternal salvation. It's their need for eternal life and heaven instead of hell. So, but what, oh, I'm just scared they'll reject me if I make an attempt and that fear of rejection stops us short. So John answers that in his first letter to the churches. That letter, 1 John, right before Revelation, just a few books before Revelation, in the back of your Bible. And he ties together loving God with loving others, just like Jesus just did. You love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. They go together. John does the same thing, loving God with loving others, especially John uses the context of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says to us in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Jesus is our example of loving others. How do we know how to love people? Remember the song back in the, 
was back in the 90s, I guess, late 80s. I think it was, was maybe Foreigner. I want to know what love is. Was it Foreigner that sang that? You know, that was after my time. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me what the singer of the song pleaded. And the Bible says over and over and over, you want to know what love is? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the love of God. You want to know what love is? Look at the cross. In the next few weeks, we're going to be going to the cross before we get to the resurrection on Sunday. You want to know what love is? Well, he is our example. Look what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. The words are up on the screen. This is how we come to know love. I want to know what love is? Okay, here you go. He laid down his life for us. There's love. And as a result of that, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. And John, by the way, who wrote these words, John was there when Jesus gave this parable about the Good Samaritan, wasn't he? He's listening to all this. And I'm sure this is flooding back into his memory as the Holy Spirit brings it to him. He says, remember that parable about neighbor. Whoever sees his brother in need, but shuts off his compassion from him like the, like the uh, priest and Levite had done. How can God's love reside in him, John asks. Little children, we must not love in word or in speech, but in deed and truth. In other words, love is not just something we say, love is something we do. Love is a verb. What did John say in those verses? First of all, he said, we look at Jesus and see how he loved us. He laid down his life for us. Number two, we do what Jesus did and love others. And by the way, was it convenient for Jesus to lay down his life? Think about that. Was that convenient? You know what? I, I have nothing better to do today. I think I'll be crucified. No, it wasn't convenient. And it will likely be, as the Samaritan found, it will likely be costly time, money. Number three, he tells us God is the source of this love. It's some, not something I come up with. It's something he gives me. Again, it's that divine agape love. Verse seven says, dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, the only people who can love with this kind of love are those who have had a new birth, those who know Jesus as Savior. Number four, loving becomes who we are. And who we are becomes what we do. Do you, do you understand that? Do you realize that? I do what I am. I am becomes what I do. That's why it's so important that we build character in our, in our kids and teach them values and teach them what's right and what's wrong because what's inside comes out. Loving becomes who we are and who we are becomes what we do. It's the supernatural, John says, byproduct of God's love for us. We are compelled to love others. He said in verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, let me stop right there. He says, if God loved us in this way, in what way? He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. If God loved us in this way, did he? Yes. Then what? Then we must also love one another. Number five, his love through us reveals him, Christ, 
to our neighbor. You see, we become, as I said earlier, the hope of this world, the hope of this nation is not anybody in Washington, D.C. It's not that party or this party. The hope of this nation is the local church. Why? Because we become his hands and his feet. They can't see God, people who don't know him. Can't see him. He doesn't walk around the streets. Look, there's Jesus. But they can see him working through us. In fact, John says in verse 12, no no one's ever seen God, but they can see what we do, who we are. Number six, love overcomes our relational fears. Go back to that. Yeah, but what if they reject me? What if I try to love them and they say, thanks, but no thanks, don't ever come to me with that again. I've had people tell me that. I remember the one lady that I was, I was sharing the gospel with, her child, her daughter had a lot of problems in school, and her daughter had been going, uh, coming to our church. She was in elementary school and getting a lot of trouble, and mom said, maybe if I get the preacher to come talk to her, it'll straighten her out. So she called the preacher, and I went to her home and sat down in their home and talked to the little girl a little bit, and then I looked at the mom and said, let me tell you a story, and I told her the gospel. When I got to the, cru- the crucifixion, when I got to the resurrection and said, and Jesus rose again, she said, stop, I don't want to hear any more. Did I take that personally? No. She rejected what I had to offer. She didn't want to hear any more about the gospel, and that's a shame. That's sad because the gospel could have transformed her life. She didn't want to hear it. When I love God with all my heart, he replaces my worries and he replaces my fear of rejection with this overwhelming love for people. In verse 12, verses 17 and 18, John writes and he says, if we love one another, if we're doing that, we're practicing love, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in the world. Did you get that, church? We are as he is in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love, which he says love is perfected when we love one another, perfect love drives out fear. So the question is, this morning, I want to leave you with, am I loving my neighbor? Are you? Am I? What's it costing? Do I pass by on the other side? Am I loving my neighbor? How am I doing that? Would you bow with me in prayer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Lord, this morning the word of God has made it really clear what loving our neighbor means through Jesus' parable and through John's follow-up. It's about serving. It's about doing whatever it takes. It's about sacrificing self. Giving up my time, giving up my my wealth, giving up my resources, inconveniencing myself. It becomes really easy for us, Lord, to 
substitute other things for that kind of love, but you don't see it that way. And if our world needs anything today, it needs to know what your love is. And Lord, by who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ becomes who I am, and who I am produces this kind of fruit in my life. And people can see Jesus in us. In the things we do every single day, not just the words we say, but especially the things we do. Help us to be Samaritans. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you that there in the Ten Commandments, four of them are about loving God, the first four. About loving God and the second six are about loving one another. How do I love one another? Listen to what God's word says. Just in the Ten Commandments. Honor your parents. That's loving one another. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie to your neighbor. Do not covet what your neighbor has. Those are some simple ways. Six things right there that we can do to love one another. And again, that word love, that agape love, comes from God. We can't manufacture it. Hope you'll love people this week. Maybe today opportunities might come into your life to do so. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.